Womandla on cliffcentral.com. <laughs> it's Womandla. It's three minutes past ten. It is the day after Women's Day. But as we do every Wednesday, right here, right now, it is always Women's Day. And today I've got um, the sister in the studio today. Notorious for throwing shade on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Hell of a notorious for being very outspoken on panels filled with old white men. <laughs> but that's because Tabiso Mahlape, who is a publisher, is also in a in the book business, which is owned by old white men. Absolutely. Tabiso, so this is here on Womandla and here on Cliff Central. We have a whole thing about... Keeping it real on cliffcentral.com. It's like that place that has been made for a person like you. We're unscripted, we're uncensored, and we are completely on radio. So there's no no go areas. Okay. Here today. Okay. No no go areas. <laughs> I'm glad you could make it. I'm glad you answered my call on Monday because we were gonna do this last week and then it was voting day. Like yeah. what a letdown. But it made sense, you know, it made sense that um that the content be voting. On that day. No, man. Their content is voting everywhere. We could have done our thing. But anyway, we we were we were uh, unceremoniously moved for the <laughs> frankly speaking guys. But we're here today and we're going to make it. We're going to light it up. So, so I want to talk about so many different things. But when I first met you and you didn't remember this, so I was very hurt. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm very sorry. And I get so upset with people that didn't remember me. I'm like... I'm so memorable. What, what do you mean? I'm so um, memorable, Tabby. So how could you not remember me? So a whole, I think, five years ago, um, you were at Jakarta then. You were, Duncan, you make terrible coffee. He Tabiso's put sugar. Just, he put sugar. just made a face about the terrible coffee that you made. <laughs> he put sugar in it. Shocked me. He put sugar in it. She likes it strong and black, just like the woman she is. Thank you, Duncan. <laughs> you were at Jokana at the time. Yes. We were at some like book launch thing for Christmas lists, I think. It was like Christmas links, exclusive Yeah, it was, it was an exclusive and... books thing. They they have a, a Christmas list that they put. So you have to submit as publishers. You submit to this thing every year. And then they choose... Um, based on what, you know, tickles their fancy, what they're going, then going to be promoting for Christmas. And you know, the Christmas, when you're in product based services, uh, or, or business, you, Christmas starts in September, uh, basically. And then, yeah, so everyone is losing hair at the moment. And I was horrified and shocked because it was the first time that I was at an industry event, not a, a book launch for public, but an industry event. And I thought, why are there so many old white people here? And then you, myself, and I think three other people were the only black people there. And you at the time had been working in publishing for years already. How no, did you no, get no, actually, into that? Five years ago, I'd only been um, in publishing for a year. So because I've now been in publishing for a total of six years. Um, and I got into it. Uh, Funny story, I'm going to backtrack. So I, um, when I was in high school, totally obsessed with the drum boys, right? Like uh, Net Nakasa, you know, all of them. And I wanted to be a journalist. And I spent my entire high school um, buried in a novel or whatever. Um, had a lot of them confiscated. As you can imagine, the Mills and Boons didn't fly um, at the Ooh, Catholic school. I did, yeah. And, I, and then I came to, because I went to like a, a public school. I went to public schools all my life. Where did you go to school? Um, so I went to school... Um, in Polokwane Kosashiro, um, uh, Mashupetla did that. So I did my, my primary and then Halala, I went. You and Juju homeboys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I went to, um, a village where there was a, um, um, a Catholic mission thing with a, a church, a hospital and a school. Uh, and that's where I did my high school. And we did not have Sweet Valley High. I mean, I came to Joburg and everyone Shame. was talking about Sweet Valley High. I'm like, guys, I grew up in Nelson Boone. What is this? Um, so I wanted to be a journalist and I applied at what I think is still TUT. Um, I got accepted for journalism. And on the day that I was leaving to go register, um, after my matric, I got a call from ESCOM 
and they were basically recruiting um, girl children into science. I think it was a big movement then, getting girl children into science. And so they'd gone around the country collecting top students with top marks in maths and science. And literally, they called me like, where do you want to go? This is how much you're going to get for pocket money every month. I was like, okay, that sounds like a sweet life. So I went um, and did engineering for four years of my life. Horrific. I failed and failed and got myself into a depression. Uh, but then I, my dad um, said, okay, you get a second chance. What do you want to do? And I said, I'd really like to go back to my journalism life. Um, so I went to Tux, um, University of Pretoria, to go apply. And when I got there, it was full. Um, it was full everywhere, I think, the journalism thing at that point. And then, so this career counselor person saw, like, my depression set in and, and said to me, okay, sit down, let's talk about it. And she said, tell me what you, what, what you see your life as. And then when I explained what I wanted to do, she said, maybe you don't even want to be a journalist. Maybe you want to be a publisher. And I'm just a girl from Polokwane and I had no idea that things like books could be made in this country, let alone that I could make these things. So I had no idea of uh, the concept of publishing a publisher. And, and so I, I mean, at that point I was very desperate and I wanted, it sounded like a thing, you know, it sounded like something I could do, um, you know, and it was very close. And I knew that if I got in, I could always change to journalism in the in, in the next year, and because the subjects were pretty much similar in the first year. And yeah, long story short, here we are. And then you go home and say to your dad, "What?" I didn't immediately go to my dad. I went to my dad's brother, who's like my second <laughs> father. <laughs> I know this because you're like not coming home after I've given you a second chance child and you get there with Antutahau. Yeah. So I always called my, my uncle if I needed to talk to my dad about something because my dad um, had to raise us by himself. My mom died when I was 12. And so my, my, my dad had to raise us by himself after that. And I think it, in many ways it, it hardened him because I think he had to guard himself in what he was doing. And so he used to be very hard. Um, and like he, he could be as hard and as funny at the same time and as flexible. And, but you, when, especially when money's concerned, if like, cause I mean, even now he still tells people I wasted his money <laughs> because, um, Eskom dropped me after like a year or so. And then he had to pay for the rest of the engineering thing. And then he had to pay for my publishing degree. So he keeps reminding me, um, uh, does it, does he not then look, look at you now and say, okay, girl? Baby girl, you're, you're, you're back on track. You're doing all right. Does I, he not see you as doing all right? I don't know that he believes it. Like he, you must know we come from a society where success means money. And I work with books. Obviously, I do not have money, you know? Um, and so I don't know. I, I think he's more worried. I think it's more a worry for him that I'm not going to be okay financially, um, than him not believing that I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Like, listen, I find, um, in his room, he's got a pile of every newspaper that I've ever appeared or mentioned or um, a column I've written or whatever and I hear that when he's had a, um, a drink or two he is found telling his friends they might, sometimes they must watch TV because they might see me there. <laughs> so I think he knows he knows that I've, I'm, I'm successful in what I've chosen but I think he's also worried about the money aspect of it you know and as any, any parent would be you know that you, you want to know that your kids are going to be fine should you die. The money aspect you know, it touches a chord with me. I think one of the things that I currently hate about the world we live in is it's so shallow and so materialistic. Yeah. Uh, and not just in terms of I need the money to survive or I need to eat or I need to, you know, I it's not enough that I'm eating three square meals a day, that I have a good car, that I live in a nice suburb. I actually, you know, we, we celebrate people who have 20 cars and 20 houses and drive jet. You know what I'm saying? The, the excess with which we live. So how do you find yourself okay with the fact that you are in an industry that doesn't make a person like super wealthy? It's not, I don't always find myself okay. <laughs> uh, because, and I was telling a friend of mine the other day, you know, the tenderpreneur thing messed us up. Because here you were, you'd gone to university and, and the people that hadn't, because you were told as you were growing up, society said, this is the formula. You go to school, you go to university, you find a good job, and then you're going to be set for life. And then out of nowhere, these people that had not, 
followed that formula. Getting tenders, instant millionaires, cars everywhere, throwing money around. And you're like, did I take the wrong path in life? You know, I think that has is one of the contributing factors towards Instagram live, you know, um, people trying to live um, to achieve something that is not achievable to the majority. But it's not even that. I mean, the set for life that we were raised with was never that you're going to be a millionaire. Yeah, it was well, set, you're going to live changed. a good life. Yeah. You're going to live a good life. Yeah, I think Whereas s- now set for life means I'm throwing it up. I'm yeah, it, it means you can Instagram you know? your life. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Listen, I used to be, things have changed. I used to be really poor. Um, in fact, a friend of mine <laughs> was saying to me on Monday, it's so, it's so good to see you not poor anymore. What does that mean? Tabi, me- so <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? I used to be really poor. <laughs> I used to be really poor. Like I, I really, I used to not be able to afford the basics in my life. Like I'm not even talking luxury. Can't be basic, so basic. Roma champagne. No, no, no. <laughs> Basic is rent, um, the car, um, and you know, like just the stuff you need to live. I'm not actually whining, you know, and um, it was hard. Like I, I'm, I use FNB, and FNB has this this temp loan thing. I don't know if you've seen it. People that have been in my kind of life will know this. Um, <laughs> they have a temp loan thing, and literally, I lived on that thing every Good month. Template, that's a so template. what you do is, so you deplete your funds, right? Um, obviously, the debit orders have come in. And, tweet, 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 tweet. Yeah, and there's a temp loan thing, and I think it's calculated. There's, a, I think there's a, like a risk thing that that it gets calculated uh, via, and you you get a certain amount of money based on your salary. And um, I think you paid like 300 rands for each thousand you took. Oh, so like overdraft or so? Yeah, except when your salary comes in, they take all of it. Yeah, overdraft is like that. No, but with overdraft, at least you go into a negative. (laughs) With with that one, they just take it. (laughs) <laughs> then you must get a new template. Then you must get a new template. Ah, so every man. month. And it costs you money. So f and B Nele Mashonisawa how? Yes, Nele Mashonisawa. I just, just had my ID with me. It was, those were bad days. And now? It's, I don't have to use my template. Mm. Yeah, that it's, it's, it's better. But also because I took a risk and went off salary and, you know, so, yeah. So tell me what that means. Tell me what it means because everything I read is like, Blackbird, 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 an imprint of Jakana. And then I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah. Does it mean, does Jok- does Jakana own this thing? What is Jakana? What is an imprint? What is, because the world of publishing is such a new idea as a business. Yeah. For me in particular. It what does for that me when actually I entered. mean? Um, so being an imprint means we are in partnership. So we part own the, 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 the imprint. And if we were to, get to a place of divorce as things happen, then I would get my blackbird and leave. So at the moment, um, it is that we, I am housed under Jakana and we both have rights to the brand and the reputation of it. And, um, so it's a, yeah, it's a partnership. Tell me about the step of going off salary and starting this thing. It's a year old now. It's a year old this it's week. We're having, the, we're having this wine and cheese week. tomorrow, yeah. Oh, but why am I not in the wine and cheese list? And I, but, but I did tell you about this last week. You know, you don't, you're not paying attention to me. <laughs> this is what I love about publishing. There's always wine and cheese. <laughs> I do very little of those because I realize people just come for the wine and cheese and they're not buying books and I'm not, I'm not about that life. Um, <laughs> but, um, so what happened is the imprint was launched last year in August. And so for, from August till March this year, I was still under salary at Jakarta because the financial year and was March. I went into a depression and a little mini breakdown beginning of this year in January because I was going off salary. Um, it was, I was so scared. I, I was so scared. And a friend of mine kept telling me, if it doesn't scare you, it's not worth doing. Um, and so I went off salary in April, but what I did, um, so from August last year till, uh, March is I started, um, I opened a company, uh, it's called Ivera Publishing and I do custom work. So I decided to diversify. So what I do custom work, um, under Ivera, I do booklets for companies, printing, um, for government. So, and then I help people self publish. So, um, see, Rami, 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 
Rami's been here. Rami Twin. Yes. <laughs> Rami Twin, you spoke. I did. That was, she was my first client. We did that last year in November. We launched it in last November. She was my first self-publishing client. So we, we yeah, so I do that. I'll charge you like a project mm-hmm. management fee. Because a lot of second, like uh, self-published books, you said unread, you must mm. look like shit. <laughs> and... um <laughs> And so what I do is I say, okay, self-publish your book, but let me help you so that the book you're selling at the boot of your car looks as good as the book that is sitting in bookstores. Mm -hmm. And then, and then how you sell it, then it's your own baby. Okay. How did you get over the fear? So you, you talk a lot about this. Is is this your your figure of speech? I went into a depression or is it a real thing for you? It's a real thing. I do, I do struggle, um, with depression and anxiety. In fact, right now I had a little panic attack when I was coming in. Um, I, re- I realized I could be late because the freeway was a parking lot. So I heard the tension in your voice and I just thought, ooh, girl, when you're, you're coming on the freeway from north. When you say, I didn't even know that you live in the north. I, I thought yeah, you lived I live, down I live our in side Centurion. No, I live in Centurion. Well, Samrand, it's like right on the borderline of Centurion and Midrand. And I could hear the panic in your voice. And I thought, so I thought I'm so glad. That's why these black people are arriving here late. I'm so glad this one at least understands the panic in her voice. But so and that's how because do of my anxiety issues. It? How do you manage? Meds. So for anxiety, I'm on meds. And the thing is, I left the house this morning and I had two choices to either go via the pharmacy because I'm out of meds. And I've been for a week now and I can, like, it's not... Um, and I've been too busy to go past the pharmacy where they've got my script. And, um, so I thought, let me go get, but I thought, mm, what if they, they slow and I'm late? So I, cause I, because of the anxiety, I can't be kept waiting. So if you keep me waiting and I can't find you or your phone is off, then in my head, we're already burying you. Mm-hmm. So I tried not, because of that, I never want to keep people waiting. So is it an overactive imagination? It's not an overactive imagination. It's an anxiety disorder. It's a proper anxiety. And how do you manage it? Because now you're in business for yourself. And as a lot of women we speak to here, and as a person who works as um, in my own business, I know that the whole thing of being an entrepreneur is characterized by fluctuations of everything is amazing. It's all going so great. And then you wake up tomorrow and you're like, life is terrible. No one is answering my calls. People aren't paying me. So how do you manage? How do you manage when you know you have a condition to then drop yourself into a world that's a roller coaster that lives in that place? Medication. My medication... Honestly, my medication helps me through a lot because, so the thing is, if you don't have any of that disorder and you, you, you're going through that, but you're still able to say, okay, what do I do next? When you've got a, like a dilapidating anxiety disorder or depression, you literally cannot see beyond it. So what the medication does, it, it, it stabilizes you and, and, and then can, and then you're able to say, okay, then what do I do? You still get to deal with the shit, but you, you like, you, you, able to say what can i do next to be in control yeah so then you go off your salary and you know Corey, this thing it's like jumping off a cliff it's either you're gonna like fall all of the way down yeah or you're gonna soar what make what made you sure you're gonna soar i wasn't sure i wasn't sure i don't think i'm still i'm still not sure um, I, so we've just closed the accounting month of July and I looked at the, the figures, um, and I said to the finance manager, I said, um, I don't know if this is worth it. I know it is, but when I see the numbers, it, it really gets to me. So the thing is, had I not diversified when I did, I would not be making a living. I would be really, really poor. Tabby, so is the book business dying? It is not dying. It is just really, really difficult. And let me break it down for you. If so, also we've got structures that have monopolized the industry, right? Um, so when we look at who our customers are, the biggest one is exclusive books. So they are our biggest customer and we sell books to them, but they also take a 50% 
say 47, which is a 50% discount. So if you see a book at exclusive books and it's 200 rands, it means that I, as the publisher, am getting back 100 rand from that. Um, and from that 100 rand, I have to pay um, the author, their royalty, which is why you cannot make a living as a writer in this country. So I have to pay um, royalties on that 100 rand. I have to pay distribution fees. I have to pay production. And there's overheads. So it is not, the book business is not dying. If it were dying, Amazon would not be opening bookstores because they were the big people that were going to, you know, kill the book. They were coming with their Kindle and stuff, but they opening bookshops, which says the book is not dying. Do black people read? They do. They do. Black people read. And I think I have found that more black people read now than when I first came into the industry Why? six years ago because we've started publishing books that black people want to read. We've started publishing content that speaks to black people. We've started publishing books that tell black people story stories by black people. One of the most condescending things that publishing used to do is getting white people to tell black people stories and their resonance fell off. Um, and then the other thing is the economics around it is that we um, are Black people come from a place where um, the money just wasn't there, you know, um, and books were a luxury. And even when people grew up, because so it's you socialized in a certain way. So it's so um, careless for people to say black people don't read without looking at the the psychology around it. So when we grew up, um, even that one uncle who did not work right was always drunk. So it, it it almost says you you make means for alcohol whatever way possible. So it's the things you grow up seeing is which is why people can go to the sands today and go blow two thousand rands, but then still say a book is expensive because it's not the things that they were that they were socialized around. So there's people who are socialized around books and they read a lot, and there are people that are just finding the story that they are coming into reading and they're reading. You know, and they, they're becoming book buyers. It's not enough yet, but it will turn. Can any writer in the world, except for people like J.K. Rowling's and, and that kind of, and their ilk, <laughs> can writers be phenomenally successful like that? You know, when you say writers in this country, you can't make a living yeah. off it. Can anywhere in the world, you know, I mean, J.K. Rowling's is an outlier on that side, you know. The millions of other writers that are out there, is that how they make their living? No, sadly not. Um, so there's, I mean, in the West, the, the writers, they can make a living out of their books, you know, um, they, but then it also means churning out books every year. Like you have to write a book a year type of situation for you to survive. Um, if you look locally, Lauren Bierkes, I think is making a very good living on books, but She's now being published overseas and she's got a market that side, which helps um, a lot. Uh, but just on J.K. Rowling. So, you know what? She wrote a book under a pseudonym. And that book was released to very bad reviews and very bad sales. And and then when it was revealed that actually this is J.K. Rowling, then the, the book sold, which almost kind of say that. And, and this article I was reading did say that it's like there are book gods sitting somewhere and, and they, they're sitting there having wine or eating cheese. And every once in a while, they're like, Oh, we haven't blessed anyone now. And they throw down a blessing. And if your book is coming out at that time and, and it, it, I don't think there's a formula because there, there are so many brilliant writers that I know locally that have not found the fame they deserve. You know, that have not found the celebration their work deserves. So it, it, it's, there is no formula. It's not that you have to be amazing, you know, and also we are now living in a ridiculous, um, space where people get followed, um, and they're retweeted. And so whoever gets retweeted the most, uh, gets the most book sales if they're an author. It's, it's, yeah, it's a ridiculous thing. Even radio stations now hire people according to how many followers they have. I mean, have we not seen that? <laughs> Don't we know that? Jesus. Don't we know that? But I'm, I'm talking to Tabiso Malhape. We're talking about writing books. We're talking about the world of publishing. We're talking about 
reading books and telling black stories in black voices. Uh, I, I wanna, I wanna chat about, about the books that you have published, both yep. under Blackbird and also in your previous life at Jakarta. But I also wanna chat about, I wanna chat about Tabisa the Mommy, but we do have to take a break. Okay. <laughs> Womandla on cliffcentral.com. I am a South African. I carry the hopes and dreams of my country and the generations to come. I know that it's not where I come from, but where I'm going to that really matters. At Sibanye, we believe the future of our country will be defined by our actions today, which is why we are committed to the development of our leaders. Sibanye, we are one. Visit us on sibanyegold.co.za. This is cliffcentral.com. <laughs> she says there's less talking there. I'm Pumima Shekho. You're tuned into Womanla and I'm chatting with Tabiso Matlape. We're talking about the world of publishing. Um, I saw something saying, Uri, Tabiso is the queen of shade on Twitter. After you, you, just before the Sunday Times, um, was it not Sunday Times, the, the French? It, it was the, at the French Hook Literary Festival. Literary Festival. Um, I know Rakabat. <laughs> let me tell you that story. Let me actually I finally want to get know. to explain myself. You don't have to. <laughs> no, I want to. I want to because I I don't I don't want my legacy to be Queen of Shade. Yeah, very Queen of Shade. Karuana Habari Mutuki Queen of Shade on Black Twitter. Woo! They've got something else going and on. And I try very hard not to get pulled into that um thing on Twitter. Like I'm part of LOL Twitter. I, I really just want to lol and, and, you know, and laugh at stuff. Um, but every, every once in a while I get either upset by something or I get offended by something and then I go on a rant. Um, but so what had happened, um, that day is I was so, I mean, if you've been to French, you know, it's a little, a little village. It's the perfect, like, microcosm of what I think <laughs> like publishing life is. It's like this tiny small village in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. It's got like these small <laughs> quaint shops. No one knows how to get there if you don't have a car. It's it's the it it for me Franchuk is the exact right place to have a literary festival because that's how exclusive and excluding yeah. the publishing world has been up until you well, I'll talk about that in a bit. So, um, we're walking. So the, there's a, there's a green room where all the authors and people that are participating meet. Um, and so we're walking from there. I'm walking with one of my authors, Nakane, and his partner. And we run into this gentleman who is walking, gentleman that has somehow found himself in the, in the literary space, even though he's never written a damn thing. I don't know how, but, um, so he's working with, um, the marketing manager from Penn Macmillan, a girl I know I've known for as, as long as I've been in the publishing industry and I like her. Um, and so we run into them and he, this guy, black man, says to my author, Nakane, because they were going to have a, a panel. They were going to be on the same panel later that he was uh, actually facilitating. And then he says to my author right there in front of me, if you ever want to leave uh, my grade from Jakarta, here's a lady to talk to. She's very important. Referring to Laura from Penn Macmillan. And then I, like, all of two seconds said, no, Tabitha, let that go, let that go. And then I couldn't let it go, so I lost my shit. And I said to him, you know, fuck off, because first of all, it's not in Jakarta, he's with, he's with Blackbird, you know? Um, and then he says, must, must you swear? Um, and I said, oh, thank you. He says, must you swear? And I say, uh, if you're gonna keep on acting like a big fat dick, then yes. I have to. And then he started telling everyone that he didn't know who I was. This man has run into me so many times. And you know how small publishing events are. They're like tiny. So there's no way you don't know the next person. Even if you haven't spoken to them, you know who they are. You know where they come from. And so he said he didn't know who I was. And he didn't know I was kicking up such a fog. And then I let it go. I was mad still. (laughs) And then I couldn't not tweet about it and I tweeted and he'd been irritating me from for some time so I was like whatever so I tweeted and then to spite me he on the panel that he had with Nakane um that he was facilitating did not make a single mention of Nakane's book 
Um, and he, so it was a panel. It was, uh, Brahu, it was him and it was Nakane. And he makes no mention of Nakane's book. And Nakane's partner keeps saying to me, uh, Nakane's partner is Chris. Chris keeps saying to me, why is he not mentioning the book? And I say, well, I don't know. Maybe he's ju- he just wants mm-hmm. to talk about the music, but he goes and tells, um, another group of writers after the event that he deliberately did, did that so that he could spite me. And, but he to also, it's the, it's a fucking thing about black men is that when they screw black women over, that they want to find allies with white women. But he chose the right, the wrong white woman because she came to me and told me. <laughs> but, and look, I mean, I think that when you, you stand up for yourself as any woman, black or white, uh, you can see what's happening with Hillary in the States. When you stand up for yourself, when you speak your mind, my favorite quote uh, from Maya Angelou is that every time she stood, she doesn't know what a feminist is, but every time she stands up for herself, she's called a feminist. Um, is, ah, <laughs> yeah, that's actually, yeah. Right? She's like, I don't know what it is, but all I know is when I'm being badly treated and I stand up for myself, then I'm a feminist. Um, but you've also then been quoted as, as saying, you you feel a little bit like an Ascari. <laughs> I, do, I do. I do. Because, listen, I work within white parameters, you know, so I'm not always able to offer. Which, when I read it, I think that there are a lot of um, young people who don't quite understand what the, the word Ascari yeah. is actually about. It's easier if you then say, bim, bim, bim. It's easy. <laughs> but when I read that and I thought, ah, uh, know about why Ascari? Why Ascari? Because when I work within such white parameters in the in the publishing industry, so the distribution is white, um, the the customers are white. As I said, so our customers are not the actual people that walk into the stores, but the stores themselves. Um, the book festivals are white. Um, as, as you, you know, Tando, um, who's one of my authors, uh, was, was one of my authors under Jakana. He actually hasn't published with me under Blackbird. Um, he made a public statement at Franchuk before the last Franchuk, so in last year, that he would not be, you know, assimilating into whiteness anymore. Too much, much, much like fire. I know. So, and he's now started a thing. He's going to launch, um, a Bantu book festival in Soweto uh, in December, this which year. is amazing. Oh, is it in December? No, I thought it Dece- was in September. No, no, okay. that's a different one. You see, that's the thing is the, 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 the one in September is called the Soweto book festival. It's by a completely different person whose press release was nothing but Tando's words. So it was confusing. Uh, his name is Daryl somebody I think he's a white person I've actually never met him but he's doing that so it must be very clear that Tando's one is called Abantu Book Festival and it's happening in December and this one that's happening in September has got absolutely nothing to do with Tando and um, I've lost oh is- yeah so my Ascariness comes in me Um, so one of my authors Panasha who's very outspoken when it comes to race and she's um, radical feminist as well um there's a book festival coming up where she was invited. It is a white... She wrote Sweet Medicine. She wrote yeah? Sweet Medicine. And I actually like the book festival that's coming up. It's called um, Open Book Festival. It happens in Cape Town in September. And I love the guy that organizes Mervyn, and he owns the book lounge in um, in Cape Town. And Panasha, I could see she was struggling with deciding whether or not she was going, but she also had some pending invitation, and I could tell that she was leaning on that pending invitation so much, hoping it comes through because it's a difficult thing to say, do I choose to go there and sell books or do I stand by my politics? And I, as the publisher who wants to sell books now has to say, baby, you have to come, you know, I mean, I I tell them you have to come. I I can't make them come. Um, And so that's where the askariness comes in. You you know what this person believes in, you know what the, the current politics are, but yet there is, I still need to make money. I'm not doing this. Yes, I'm doing it for the fun of it. I'm one of the lucky people that gets to do fun work for, um, for work, but um, I still need to make money out of it. So is that the problem? Is there a problem around the fact that because there's so much politics, it gets in the way of the of the work because it there's does. so much politics it, it gets in the way of the work and because it gets in the way of the work it gets in the way of advancing the agenda you know it's it, like a it does especially when I put me because because people then get caught up in the talking 
There are bandwagons going everywhere. There's choreographed anger. There's sexy politics. There's, um, you know, collateral anger. People, people get caught up in the talking and the sounding sexy and sounding right and sounding within the stuff that there is actually no work being done. So if you were to look, if you were to assess of all the people that are talking, if you were to assess how many of those people have translated their talking into work, the percentage would be shocking. Shocking. So what we love to do as the black middle class especially is sitting at Tasha's and out profounding each other over glasses of wine. It is pathetic. There is absolutely, and I said this to someone on Facebook, I said, I wish, and, and it's someone I liked, and they were, because, so what happened is, after Franschuk and, and some, so some other black people uh, boycotted Franschuk. Rightly so, they were within their rights. But when their rights now start to infringe on mine, when I'm in Franschuk, and they're now writing funny Facebook statuses about, um, I can't believe those people are in Franschuk, I'm working. What the hell am I supposed not, not to do? Not feed my child. Because there's a sexy thing going on at the moment. That's not going to work for me. So when we were at Franschuk and some, some of the people doing these things, and I said, I really hope that one day we will um, get to a point where there's less Facebook status and more work um, and less sexy politics, honestly. And, and, they, and she called me a patriarchal princess, which I am, I suppose. I was raised a patriarchal <laughs> princess. I just try every day to check myself, you know, that I'm not um, advancing patriarchy, but... Is what it is. Speaking of advancing patriarchy, I, there, there is over the past couple of days has been a huge brouhaha with the hashtags. <laughs> remember, that was painful. Remember, crazy. So Why? I, I, when I was growing up, I didn't know of anyone that had been sexually molested. If there was anyone around me of my friends that had, they never shared it with me. So when I moved up here to Joburg and then found that every other person I met had been through that thing, I could not believe it. And the hashtag when it happened, just to show how many people have gone through such traumatic experiences. I run an NPO with a friend of mine called Woman and Woman, and we're trying to create safe spaces for women to come together and talk. Um, um, and for little girls, we do like um, sanitary beds pad drives as well and yesterday we hosted and I, I kept thinking oh my gosh we're hosting this thing so it was a, it was an event on um overcoming um learning to love yourself and finding your worth again after a traumatic relationship or traumatic experiences and we did this thing in Hatfield, literally kilometers away from the union buildings where a man who we know of at least one victim who'd been through trauma was because of him was talking in commemoration of Women's Day. So that is why this, this has been painful for me because I believe all those women. And I, 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 am, I am saddened that so many women have to live with that. And if you if you were to read um, Pumla Gola's um, book on rape... Dude, I've been trying to get her here. She's on a sabbatical. It's driving me crazy. That book <laughs> that book for me says, you know, it, it's it's about my one big thing is even with feminism because we live in a country where a lot of women don't identify as feminism but that is because the word feminism has come down to us through masculinity filters but another topic but um so even with rape you know that that book does so much in explaining the psychology around it and what we need to be doing as women at least because the men have to talk to each other they they have to deal with their own shit so we we at least need to be seen to believe each other and be supporting each other, if anything. Mm, and speaking about pain and um, past experiences, looking at the books you have chosen to work on, yeah, whether it was with Jakana, I mean, at Jakana you worked with um, on dimples, eye bags and dimples, eye, eye bags and dimples with um, Bonnie, Bonnie Hena at the time, yeah, yeah. Um, you you did Pavement Bookworm. Pavement Bookworm is Under Blackbird. Under Blackbird, yeah. yeah. Under Blackbird, you've done Pavement Bookworm. The And Sweet Medicine with um, Panache. These are completely different stories of completely different existences and experiences. How do you pick the stories that you want as a publisher? Tabiso? wants to tell this this is going to sound 
a little woo woo. <laughs> I pick books based on my gut. It has to connect with my gut. And I mean, I know what books, I'm, what stories I'm looking for. And these are books that have resonance with black people that have some form of healing and books that allow black people to begin to explain themselves to themselves. Right. Um, because of, I mean, the stuff that black people had to go through for those 400 years need unpacking. And I, I find that that has not been done. You know, we have not unpacked with, we are carrying a lot of trauma just in our D- DNA that needs to be unpacked. If we ever going to be normal, if, if our children are ever, well, we'll never be normal, but thank God for wine. Um, and cheese and cheese when we're not on diet. <laughs> um, so, um, so those are the books. I, those are the stories I'm kind of putting feeders out for, but also my gut and there's books that I've published that did not connect with my gut, but I published because they perhaps made a, a like a good financial sense. Yeah. Um, like I've lived, I can't say, but I've lived to regret those. I've lived to regret those. The ones that connect with my gut, honestly, even if they sell 200 copies, I'm still happy. Well, not financially, but, um, I, I don't have any regrets. And that's the thing, you know, of course the, um, your queenship, uh, Oprah is my guideline. <laughs> it's the <laughs> guiding light. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, there's a, there's a distinct, just, uh, there's a distinct, um, type of woman that you can tell. You can tell which generation one is by whether right. you are like a Beyonce. I keep telling or them whether Beyonce you're like stands. a Oprah. They say, man, why, 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 why do you not like, I'm like, I don't not like her. I just, I'm older. <laughs> Oprah's my girl. You know, Oprah's my Beyonce. Let me, let me be. Um, so I, so Oprah in one of her shows, I, th- I remember she was asking this woman, how do you know, how do you know in the work that you do that you, that you're on the right, that you're on the right path. And that, that answer said, if you don't feel like you have betrayed yourself. And that's what, even if I do a book that does not sell, if I still feel like I have not betrayed myself, I'm okay. I am happy with that. You've got a two year old daughter. Yes. In the midst of all of this, in the midst of the working hard, fighting patriarchy on the one side, fighting racism on the other side, and just the struggle to identify yourself and be your best you. How does having a child who's a girl change that? One, the, 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 journey for me to get into this imprint thing has been happening. It's it's been in talks for years before it happened. I just, I was just never ready for it, but you will see that I started to do, started thinking carefully about it after I had my child, because it became very urgent for me to leave, uh, to live a life that would set an example for her. Um, that you could, you can be a black woman, a black little girl that grows up in Bulukwani and you can come to Joburg and conquer the world. And I wanted her to know, so I wanted to have freedom, um, more than anything, complete freedom from patriarchy even. Um, so I want to leave her with something that will remind her that my mother did this so I can. We spoke about your dad earlier yeah um being raised by your dad you and your sisters um the type of parent that your dad was Mm. because i truly believe we only can parent the way that we were parented you know we can try and make better we can try and do different but that's our that's all we have as a benchmark Mm. what do you think you took from your dad that you're passing on to your daughter (laughs) it's always very difficult unpacking my dad issues but I think I see how stubborn my dad is or was he softened with age (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm also quite stubborn and I see that in my daughter and I have to be careful to not tame that 
don't want to tame that about her because I had no one taming it for me. So I, it's always so difficult to explain to people how um, losing my mother at 12 translated into... It's like God had this plan for you. The universe had this plan for you to be this person. So it, because I didn't grow up watching a woman submit to a man, I don't know how to submit. And I want that for my daughter. I realized as I grew that, and even my friends who grew up with single mothers, they're, they're quite strong and, and like, they, like they just get up and do things, you know, because they did not watch a certain order of, um, uh, characters in, in life at home. So you learn this shit, you know, you, you, you learn it. You, I have friends who complained about their mothers when we grew up. So I can't believe my mother does this where my dad is concerned and they have grown up to do the same shit with their husbands. So I think, and <laughs> doesn't say that, but you're allowed to. <laughs> no, 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 because it is at someone else's um, issue. But I also relish being a single parent. And for me, being a single parent is not like, oh my gosh, woe is me. It's just a thing that's done. My daddy did it. I'm doing it, you know. And I love not having anyone to. So right now I'm teaching my daughter consent. Um, where she doesn't have to hug anyone if she doesn't want to. It's hard when it's me, but um, because sometimes I say kisses, mommy says Gyahana. Oh no, man! <laughs> um, that I will tell you with the boy. I have a boy. He always wants to hug and kiss me. <laughs> uh, let's let's switch. <laughs> always wants to hug and kiss me. <laughs> also, I'm pathetic with like day to day mothering things. Mm. Um. Having children was never part of my plan. Um, it happened. I suppose I also was having unprotected sex, but I mean, it just happened. Th- that's where children come yeah. from. I'm sorry to be the one to tell you. Children come from unprotected sex, Tammy. So, <laughs> so I'm quite pathetic with like the day to day, um, logistics of being a mother, like feeding ch- a child. And I hate bath time. I mean, I make, so I make the rules on what she must eat, but someone else has to implement it for her. Even in the times where we, we, we are alone in the house, that's where we actually get mad at each other quite quickly because I'm impatient and she's like, I don't understand this. Um, so, and people must say she's I'm crazy because she's too, how, how are we having this interactions? But we are. Um, and, I've got I've got a very clever baby, even if I say so myself, who can read at two. I mean, you know, um, but yeah, it, I don't. But I hate bath time, so I want to get home and be the mummy that finds a, a, a baby that's clean and neat and smells good, and then we hug and kiss and then we read. That's like the most beautiful thing ever. So, um, so and that's what I want her to know that it is okay to not fit into any a mold of what a woman is because I am so I'm me first and I I keep telling her even though I know she doesn't understand that mommy comes first and you come second and everything else that helps mommy take care of you comes third. So um and that's what I wanted to understand growing up that and that's another thing going back with my dad is my dad when he was widowed was thirty five um when my mom died and he did not stop his life for us. And also because society makes it quite easy for men not to stop their lives because they have children to take oh, care yeah. of. Oh, yeah. So my dad had his life. Like, my dad was available to us 24-7 and, uh, well, half of the day. If he was out of the house and away, you knew where he was and you could get hold of him. If you needed him to come, he would come back. But he then he would pack his cooler box and he's quite religious about things, my dad. Every day at six o'clock, pack a cooler box, even if it's just three beers, but he's going somewhere, you know. Um, but now in my adulthood, I'm very proud of him because we now left the house. He's alone at home. If he did not have a life, he'd be quite depressed. But he's got a life of his own that, you know, even though I'm sure he misses having people in the house, but his life is not disrupted. You know, he can still do things. He has places to go. And and that's what I want my daughter to know, that you come first. You have children that you love and adore, but you come first. Sure. That's a lot. It is. And going forward, one year in, Blackbird's got, got some nice titles in it. Yeah. You've got... 
the world ahead of you. I mean, there's still a gravel road that you have to walk. <laughs> but thank goodness you're there walking the gravel road and hopefully you're paving it for the rest coming behind you. But what next going forward? What's, what are your big plans? What are your hopes? You know, I get so many submissions in my inbox. For real? People are out there writing. Yeah. So the thing... And are they writing crap or are they writing good Some stuff? of them are writing really, really, really bad crap. Like, fuck, what are you doing? Get a job. Yeah, go get a job immediately. <laughs> um, but some of them are really good. And the, 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 some, some of them that are good, are, those are the depressing ones. Because... At all. If it, yeah, because even when it's good, sometimes it's it's not great. But it, but someone could grow, you know. But the market right now doesn't allow you to take on someone who's just good. Like you have to be special. There's got to be something special. But luckily for me right now, where I am, I'm still, I'm concentrating more on the special stories for me. So, I, um, because let me tell you why I published the books that I do actually as well is when I published my father, my monster, under Jakarta in 2011, uh, by making Josh Polel. Which was a riveting read and properly like shaking to the core. Right. We went to um, KZN um, and he, we went past Peter Maritzburg. So he was do- doing a signing at the bargain books there. Um, and there was a long queue of people that already had the book. Some were buying it that day, but some already had. And there was this gogo in the line who did not have a book. She stood there and shifted with the book. And I was with the, with the queue and I was watching her. And when she got, when when it was her turn, what she said was, um, Danam, I came to say thank you for telling our stories. So she obviously read this book some way, you know, and that for me said, y'all have been lying. Black people do read, you know. Um, it's just they haven't had the stories that they can connect with. So I I I concentrate now on on the stories. But another big plan of mine is to go into um so my patients obviously feminism um right now and some politics. So I will be so for example some of the few next two books in the next batch that is coming, there's um a book on um feminism it's a feminism 101 book because we live in a society where women don't identify with feminism and we um it's a, when i commissioned it it was we trying to um just get women to understand you know so that because a lot of woke people are very happy to I be triggered <laughs> are very happy to be triggered so you 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 know exactly why women are the way they are because of the patriarchal society you know very well but yet a woman makes um, a, a fucky statement on Twitter And instead of loving them out of that Darkness that they're in You trigger it and you, you, you're just Bombarding them with your um, Words, big words Now you log on to Twitter Every day there's a new word from um, Woke Twitter <laughs> New words from Woke Twitter Telling our stories Tabiso Mathape, you are absolutely riveting And uh, more power to you Onwards and upwards, I think Definitely. I know lots of black people who read. I know lots and lots and lots of black people who wish there were more different stories out there to be told. And if there's any one thing that I can say before the politics, I think you've got a far more fascinating story. And I really wish you'd tell a little bit of that story. I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying. Do great. Do great. I will. Thanks for coming through, Tamiso. This has been... Another absolutely riveting episode of Womanda with one more fascinating, powerful woman, as we do every day, every Wednesday here uh, at Womanda. It is Women's Day. This is CliffCentral.com.